This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. Morning, everybody. I want to say uh, extra special welcome to those of you who are here for the very first time. I want to tell you, you couldn't have come on a better Sunday. We have some really wonderful things in store for you, and to get everything started... So I'll take out our programs, and in the programs, a couple of things that we're going to want to get out. Let me introduce myself to you if I didn't get a chance to meet you on the way in. My name is Ron, and I'm going to be teaching us over the next half hour or so from God's Word. And um, so in order to uh, help you better connect with God, that's one of the reasons I'm excited that you are here for the first time, because I'm going to take it as a pastor. When you come to church, you have a desire to connect with God. So uh, with that assumption, I want to tell you that we as a church have a heart to help you get that done. And we don't want to badger you. We certainly don't want to put pressure on you, but we do want to come alongside you and partner with you. And the best way we can do that is for us to be able to get in contact with you, put some resources in your hands that will help you uh, better connect with God and better connect with people who are on that same journey. So it starts by having you fill out the, the contact information box on the front of this card that says, start here. Uh, if you've been here more than once, you already know that drill. So if you've already given us your contact information, just put your name uh, in that box. And then uh, when you fill out re- prayer requests and so forth on the back of that card, we'll know who to get those associated with and who we're praying for and so forth. But for right now, uh, those of you who are first-time guests, if you would give us as much information as you're comfortable with, then uh, we'll get started on that project this week. So having said all that, the second thing you want to do is get out the teaching notes, which, are the, which is this little half sheet of notes. And I want you to look right up at the top, and I want you to see what the title of the teaching is this morning. Can we all read that out loud? Let's read it together. Ready? What is it? Is hell for real? Wow. I have a confession to make. When uh, we were putting together this series of teachings several months ago, I saw that title, and in my heart, I secretly hoped that that would fall on Kevin Sunday. I didn't tell him that. But in my heart, I secretly hoped that it would. Kevin's in Italy. He went halfway around the world not to have to talk on this subject. No, that's not true. He's over there doing a wedding for uh, his uh, sister-in-law and now brother-in-law. So, um, But I also have to tell you this, in the interest of full disclosure, as I sat down and began to pray through this message and began to pray through what God would have me say this morning. I I want to tell you, had Kevin preached on this, I would have missed one of the greatest prayer times I've ever had with God. And I would have missed being able to share with you something that comes way from deep inside my heart this morning. And not just inside my heart, but more importantly, I would have missed being able to share with you something that's inside God's heart. So I want to start with a couple of assumptions. Some of us, if you grew up in a church, you may have grown up in a church, and I, I, 
somewhat accommodate the language, but actually it's for real. Some of us grew up in churches that tried to scare the hell out of us. Can anybody relate to that? Yeah, many of us can. They were the sort of hell, fire, and brimstone churches where the pastor got up and and yelled or screamed, or in some cases it was a pastor or a priest who got up and, and it was pretty much all fear and guilt. And boy, you better get right with God. And one of the problems with talking about is hell for real is the problem that it often casts God in the light of, you're going to do it my way, I'm going to throw you into hell. There's your choice. Best of luck with that. And as I sat down to pray through this message, the overwhelming thing that God said to me is, Ron, you have to tell people my heart. You have to help them understand that both heaven and hell come out of my heart. And it's not my heart to hurt people. In fact, God says, I have a message for them. And I'm going to give you that message in just a few minutes. But I want to start with the understanding that if you think this is going to be a hellfire and brimstone sermon because we're talking about his hell for real, no, it's not going to be that. Because that's not God's heart. But, but I want to turn that coin over. Because we also, all of us, live in a politically correct world. And it's got no room for heaven or hell as God reveals them in the Bible. Because heaven, the Bible clearly says, is for those who have chosen Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior. And it's not for anybody who hasn't done that. But in our politically correct world, we don't want to believe that. We want to say there's multiple roads to heaven and we like to accommodate the phrase all roads lead to Rome, therefore sort of all roads lead to heaven. If you're expecting one of those messages, you won't get that either. Because I want you to know something and I want you to hear this clearly. It's better for us to believe what is true than it is for us to believe what we want to be true. Let me give you an example. Everyone in this room, your life or someone close to you has had their life touched by cancer. If I came along and I said, I've invented this magic potion, and I don't care what kind of cancer you have, you drink this potion and it will cure you of cancer, would you like to believe that? There's not a person in this room that wouldn't like to believe that. And we would take it and we would rush it to the side of anyone in our world who's struggling with cancer. But what if it wasn't true? Would you still want to believe that? Or would you rather believe what's true? See, we all know in our heart of hearts that we are better off to believe what is actually true than to feed ourselves a line and believe only what we want to believe is true. 
And, and I want to encourage all of us, whether you're here for the 150th time or you're here for the first time this morning, I want you to know that what's in God's heart is absolutely true. And the best thing that you could do is embrace it. Because the great thing about this truth, not the great thing about cancer, the story of cancer sometimes doesn't end with a good chapter, does it? No. But there's no reason why the story of God should ever end with a bad chapter. It doesn't have to. And this morning I'm going to do something. I've been in ministry 42 years and I've never done this. But I'm going to read you a story this morning, and it's the story of God. And so for the next 20 minutes or so, I just want you to listen. Because this is God's story to you, and this is God's story to me. And as God unfolds his story, we will understand why heaven and why hell. Chapter 1 creation. The first part of this chapter is God decided to create a family. In the beginning, before time, God made an amazing decision. He was going to have a family. Now that was huge because there was no such thing as a family. No one had ever heard of such an idea. There were no fathers, no mothers, children, aunts, uncles, grandparents or grandchildren, not even in heaven. The angels don't marry. They don't have children. And although God already existed in three persons, their relationship was not Father, Son, and Holy Spirit yet. It's hard to imagine, but Jesus was never called God's Son until he was born of Mary. In fact, God himself said of Jesus, you are the son I love this day. I have fathered you. Speaking of the day when Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit inside of Mary. So when God decided to create a family, it was huge. He was starting from scratch. God provided a beautiful home for his family. So God began by providing a home for his coming family. And like all other fathers, he wanted to make it beautiful. He selected earth, and the Spirit began to move over the face of the earth, organizing it and turning it into something totally different from everything else. He created deep blue oceans, massive continents of land, decorated with majestic mountains, lush green valleys, ribbons of water called rivers, and countless delicate ecosystems that teem with life of seemingly limitless variety. It was a magnificent place for his family. God made his children with part of him in them, and this included having a free will. 
Once filled with life, God's new home was ready for his family, so he created his first son and daughter, Adam and Eve. And because they were his family, he made them in his own image. They had a part of him in them. And this included having the free will or the ability to choose between right or wrong. God never explains why he did this, but we can guess. In order for love to be meaningful, it has to be chosen. And above all, God wanted to be loved by his family. So he made his children with the ability to choose him or reject him. That's why later Jesus said, the greatest and most basic commandment of all was that we should love God with all of our heart. And the second, he said, is directly related to it, that we should love our neighbor. Why? Because after all, our neighbors are part of our family, or as I should say, part of God's family as well. In order to be chosen, God had to create an alternative choice. So God placed in his family's home countless good choices and only one bad one. Adam and Eve could go anywhere, do anything, enjoy everything. The earth was theirs to explore, see, and experience, and... They had eternity to do it. Imagine that. They didn't have a lifetime to see the whole world. They had eternity. Their options were limitless. All the modern conveniences that you and I now enjoy, they could have been part of inventing and developing. They could have done it all. And there was only one way they could mess it up. Only one possible wrong choice. But in order for it to be a real choice, it had to be tempting. So God made the tree of knowledge of good and evil beautiful as well. It was lush, its blooms were beautiful, and its fruit looked delicious but its results would be catastrophic. So God said, you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. Now God enjoyed his family and his children enjoyed him. The Bible says that God came to be with his family daily. These were his children and he completely enjoyed being with them having them tell him about the experiences in the day and sharing in the joy they had in the home he had made for them, everything was perfect. They brimmed over with excitement at the wonder of their home and God's heart was full of love for them. He was their father and they were his children. What could be better? Everything was working just as he had hoped. Chapter 2 the fall. God's children decided they would be better off without their father. 
We don't know how long Adam and Eve enjoyed their perfect relationship in this eternal family under these perfect conditions. But we do know that one day Satan showed up in God's world with only one goal in mind. To steal the love and allegiance of God's family and turn them against him. So he started by focusing their attention on the only possible bad choice, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And using it, he began to say bad things about their father. He accused him of holding out on his own kids, withholding from them something quite desirable and good for them. He was persuasive. Your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it. And you will be like God. Eventually, he convinced them they would be better off without God. With the knowledge of good and evil, they wouldn't need a father. They could do it all themselves. And so they rejected God as their father, and they gave their allegiance to Satan. They decided he would make a better father for them than God. So they ate the forbidden fruit in defiance of their real father's command. Chapter 3, the fallout. Soon after, God came to visit his children, and he found a real mess. They were ashamed, scared, and hiding in the bushes because they were aware of their nakedness. It was absolutely awful. With a sad heart, God began telling his children the consequences because they had rejected him and chosen Satan as their father. Since you ate from the tree, whose fruit I commanded you not to eat, the ground is cursed because of you all your life you will struggle to scratch a living from it. It will grow thorns and thistles for you. And though you eat its grains, by the sweat of your brow will you have food to eat until you return to the ground from which you were made. For you were made from dust. To dust you will return. And to Eve, he further said, I will sharpen the pain of your pregnancy, and in pain you will give birth, and your desire to control, and you will desire to control your husband, but he will dominate or rule over you. God's family was now an official disaster. They had been hijacked by Satan, and they now live in a world filled with struggle. Their lives are doomed to end in death. And they will be passing this, quote, sin infection on to all the succeeding generations. It didn't take long for Adam and Eve to have a front row seat to the reality of what they had done. Cain Their oldest son grew up to be a young man with some pretty serious sin problems of his own. His younger brother Abel was a much better and more righteous person than he was. 
But Cain couldn't stand his younger brother's righteous life, so he killed him. And Adam and Eve tasted death for the very first time. Life was now hard, and the hurts and the pain ran deep. Chapter 4, God's Decisions. But unseen by Adam and Eve, their rejection of God as their father moved him to make three major decisions. Decision number one, he would not allow his family to live forever in this sinful condition. When Adam sinned, Sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death. God knew the only thing worse than a sinner was a sinner who would live forever. So he decided all sinners would die. To accomplish this, he inflicted everything about his world, including Adam and Eve, with some fatal flaws. Things that would eventually end in their death. The flaws, decay, disease, and disharmony. That meant Adam and Eve would die, and the world as they know it, and as we know it as well, would come to an end. That was decision number one. Decision number two, God would purge the earth punish all evil, reverse the curse, and restore the world to its original condition. The Bible says, against its will, all creation was subjected to God's curse. But with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. And there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Now this is very exciting and great, except for one thing. All the people in it, All God's children are sinners and therefore scheduled for punishment and removal from God's presence forever. Why? Well, because God is just. When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels, he will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus They will be punished with everlasting destruction, and listen to this, shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the majesty of his power. God made a place for everything and everybody who chooses to reject him as their father, putting their allegiance and love in other leaders and other things. It was the last thing he wanted to do. 
But it was the only thing he could do to ensure that the things that ruined earth wouldn't find their way into heaven. They had to be shut out of his presence for eternity. So the deep with a deep sadness in his heart. God created hell. See, hell exists because God is just. Yes, God is a loving Father who offers his children mercy and grace that they don't deserve. But he's also as just and holy as he is loving and merciful. Because he's holy and perfectly guards the righteousness of heaven. He could not live in denial and act as if his children had never sinned. God's justice demanded that something be done about that sin. So he created hell because it's right and it's just. It's the appropriate and correct punishment for the damage the heartache, the hurt, and the pain caused by sin and sinners to God's family. It's what all God's children actually deserve. Hell is also where God isn't. God used the phrase, shut out from his presence and from the majesty of his power to describe hell because he wanted his children to know that hell will be missing everything that comes from his presence and his power. There will be emotional suffering because their father's presence will not be there to comfort them and bring inner peace. There will be relational suffering because their father's grace will not be there to bring forgiveness There will be physical suffering because their father's power will not be there to heal and restore. There will be spiritual suffering because everyone there will realize they have been cut off from their only real father, God himself. They decided they didn't need him on earth and now they won't be able to get to him in eternity. God's wonderful love story, the story of his family, was ending up to be a tragedy. The children he loved and made it his own image were doomed to be separated from him forever. And the beautiful home he made for them was scheduled for destruction. It could have ended that way. But God made one more decision. One that changed everything. He would make a way for his family to escape this coming destruction and punishment. So even as he was reminding Adam and Eve of the consequences of their choice, he began to unfold a plan. A plan for a Savior. Someone who would purchase forgiveness for his children's sins. Change their hearts. And their behavior. 
and bring them back into a right relationship with him. But no qualified Savior could be found either on earth or in heaven except for God himself. So he decided to become a human being and be our Savior himself. Speaking through an angel to one of his children, God begins to unfold the best part of the story. The child within Mary is conceived by the Holy Spirit. And she will have a son, and you, were, and you are to name him Jesus, which means God saves. For he will save his people from their sins. This son would be different from all the rest of his children. This son wouldn't be made in God's image. He would be God in human flesh. And his mission would be to save God's children from their sins. But how would he do that? How would he set them right with their father again? Chapter 5, Salvation. His teachings pointed God's people away from death, both spiritual death and physical death, eternal death, to eternal life. In John 6, 63, Jesus told God's children, the very words I have spoken to you are spirit and life. By following him, they would reconnect with their heavenly father to the point that their inner spirits would be revived and filled with life. The darkness they were living in could be replaced with the light of their loving father, but they knew they were sinners. And they knew their sins would forever separate them from their real father. But Jesus assured them that his death saved his followers from the coming destruction by paying the penalty God's justice demanded for their sins. In order to set God's children in right standing with him, Jesus had to do something to satisfy the penalty God's justice demanded for their sins. And since the penalty for sin is death, he voluntarily died in their place. For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. Although excited about these great promises the Father was making them through Jesus, God's people wondered, what proof could Jesus give them that he was actually able to do these eternal things for them? And Jesus gave them the biggest proof of all by demonstrating his complete power over the ultimate punishment for their sin, death. So his resurrection guarantees his followers eternal life in the new heavens and the new earth. To prove he was for real, to prove heaven is for real, and also to prove hell is for real, 
He predicted his own resurrection from the dead. And then he executed it to a T. Here's the promise. I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. And that's all the story of God that's been written so far. That's only the first few thousand years. The vast majority of the story of God will be written in eternity. But there is one more chapter to be written on this earth. That's the chapter that determines how the story of God will end in your life and in mine. Will it end with you in hell because you never got around to choosing Jesus as your Savior, the only one who can possibly save you from the coming destruction that will overtake everything sinful in this world when God sets it right again? Or will it end with you in heaven, joyfully reunited with your loving Father, enjoying Him and the new home He's going to create for His eternal family? That, my friends, is the story of God. As we close, we started out with a question. What was the first question? Is hell what? For real. Doesn't help when a pastor recently published a book called Love Wins. Does that sound good? Who wouldn't want a book like that? And in the book, he tries to demonstrate that eventually everybody makes it to heaven because love wins. Another pastor wrote a book called Erasing Hell in which he said, oh yeah, well let's take a look at what God says. I want you to know, regardless of what any pastor might write or might say, you have an eternal Father you were created in His image. And through sin, you and I are scheduled to be wiped out, wiped away when God purges the the earth and sets it right again. But God hasn't forgotten that you are rightfully his child and he's made a way for you to miss that. It's open to everybody. Doesn't require money. Doesn't require any knowledge that anyone can't have. Doesn't require talent. Doesn't require anything but you recognizing that you are his child and that you have fallen into sin. And you recognize that Jesus paid the penalty for your sin. And through that, you can miss that coming destruction. And you can live forever in the story of God. And the final chapter will be, and they lived happily ever after. That's God's story. I can't add anything to it or take anything away from it.
There are three ways we can respond to God's story today. Okay? Take a look. We're going to put them up here. Number one, I'm choosing Jesus as my personal Savior today. That needs no explanation after that story, right? I don't care how many times you've been to church. I don't care what decision your parents might have made for you when you were a small child or even a baby for that matter. That choice is one God puts in your hands today. And just like in the Garden of Eden, the tree of knowledge of good and evil, it was very enticing and tempting. There are many things in this world that will entice and tempt you to not make that decision. But it's the one decision you can make that will make all the difference in the world, not only in your life, but in your eternity. If you haven't made that choice, officially made that choice, I'm going to pray in just a minute, and I want you to make that choice. But even more right now, if you would take that card that we got out originally, you put your names on, and record that choice. Because that's not a decision we take lightly in this church. One of our staff members will sit down with you. Make sure you understand how to make that decision, and make sure you understand what comes with that decision, because it's huge. You could not make a bigger decision in your life, or a better one, either, for that matter. Second way we can respond is, I'm reaffirming my choice of Jesus as my Savior. Now, oftentimes we'll give people a chance to rededicate their lives to Christ, which is a great thing, but you know what I think? Every once in a while, it's just good to reaffirm it. And I'm telling you this morning, this week, even today, I'm reaffirming my choice of Jesus as my personal Savior, I've got my whole life in His hands. I'm banking on Him to save me when that day comes. And then thirdly, if you want to do it this week, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 is a whole chapter about the story of God. And it's a whole chapter about the redemption of God and what God has gone through in order to set us right with Him. I read in that story just the last verse of that chapter. But if you want to enhance your understanding and appreciation of what your Heavenly Father has done for you, then sometime in this week, you pull out Second Corinthians chapter 5, and in your daily time of meeting with God, read that. Talk to Him about that. And thank Him for what He's done. Now before the worship band comes out, before Justin comes out, would you join with me in prayer? And then respond to God as he leads you. Oh, Father, your story is an amazing one. That you would choose to have a family and that we would get to be your kids. And that you would create for us just the fantastic home that we live in and the beauty of this world as our home. And that you would say to us, it's all yours. Enjoy. And then come and talk with me about it. That's just amazing. And to think that we as a human race decided that wasn't good enough. We actually didn't need you. We'd rather do it ourselves. And so we did. And the consequences are catastrophic. And now, Lord, today, As we sit in this room, we all have to choose how we're going to deal with those consequences. Would you speak in our hearts right now, every one of us, 
who hasn't yet become a follower of Christ and put our allegiance with Him and become a Christian, would you help us to make that choice today so that we can discover and live out the most unbelievable kind of life possible on this earth, a life where we get to walk through it with you and look forward to an eternity on this earth, the new heavens and the new earth, that's just the most amazing place, and it'd be our home for eternity, and you just offer it to us, for come and follow Jesus. Lord Jesus, would you speak to us in our hearts today as we reaffirm that you are our one and only Savior forever. We open up our hearts to you. We do it in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information, at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.